Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you, God. And Lord, you are so worthy, so awesome, so magnificent. God, give your people the strength and the ability to open their eyes to see that they can give all their heart to you, that you're a faithful God and that you can be trusted and that you're awesome. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for this morning worship. Father, thank you now as we get into your word, you're going to speak to our hearts and encourage us and teach us about eschatology, about future things. So, Lord, we love you. And we ask you, uh, by your Holy Spirit, to move in our hearts and lead us in this study this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. 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 You may be seated. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Paul's got a Bible for you. We are looking at a very fascinating subject this morning. I guess you could call this maybe a character study but a character study of a really bad guy, a really bad individual, a very fascinating and intriguing figure in the scriptures that we call the Antichrist, the Antichrist. In our, in our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament, a lot of times I'll focus on the, on the, the meanings of each verse, and we'll talk about it and, and, and unleash God's truth and see what the verse is saying, but as I was studying 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 this week, I felt led to just, to just let's focus on the individual that the Apostle Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and that's the Antichrist. And throughout history, there's been many candidates. There's been many candidates for who the Antichrist is and, and why. One of the first one was Nero Caesar. Nero Caesar, he was a persecutor of the church, in the first century, he blamed the Christians for the fire that burned 70% of Rome in 64 AD. And many, many, many years after he was gone, some scholars got together and they looked at his name in the Greek. They translated it to the Hebrew. They took those Hebrew letters and looked at their numerical value. And guess what it came up with? 666. <laughs> but folks, if you study what happened back then and you look at Scripture... Nero's nothing compared to what this guy is going to be. Then there was Adolf Hitler. People looked at Adolf Hitler and they said, okay, maybe this guy was the Antichrist. What was the big thing with Adolf Hitler? It was his, his persecution of the Jewish people in the Holocaust. And that was horrible. And he was, uh, uh, Satan was in him doing all that evil. But he, he wasn't as bad as who the Antichrist was going to be. And then there was Mikhail Gorbachev. Uh, I saw this list, and Mikhail Gorbachev was on the list, and I, they didn't give a good reason other than he had a mark on his forehead. And that mark, they said, okay, maybe he was the Antichrist. That, that was a joke, but uh, poor guy, he got blamed for that because of the mark. But anyway, he was listed as a possible Antichrist. But no, none of these guys were the Antichrist. You know, why, why, are, why, do, we, why do we study the Antichrist? Why do we study this subject, David? What does this bring to my life, you may be asking you know, bottom line is, if it's in Scripture, it's worthy of study. Because if it's in the Bible, that means that God wants us to know about it. Because 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is, I love this word, it's profitable. It's profitable. So it's good. We, know, we may not know all the details and we may not, may not um, 
know all the events and every little detail, but God wants us to know about it because we see it in his word. So that's what we're going to study this morning. So turn in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll actually be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll also switch over to um, move um, to Revelation chapter 13 in a little bit. So let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. What's happening here is the church at Thessalonica is freaking out. They believe they've missed the rapture. They believe they're in the great tribulation, and they are deeply disturbed. They, they, they are wigged out. It says in verse, look at verse 2. It says, it says they, were, they were shaken in mind, and, and, they were, and they were troubled. They were shaken in mind, they were troubled. What shook them? Look at verse 2. Possible candidates of, of what shook them, what rattled their faith. He says, um, either by spirit, by spirit that could be a, a, a false prophecy, a false prophetic word. It says, or either by word, that could be a, a false teacher, or by letter, that could be a forged letter, as we suspect there may have been people that were impersonating the Apostle Paul and sending messages in his name to the church at Thessalonica that Paul had not sent or Paul had not said. Maybe there were some false teachers that had come in under the disguise that we're under Paul, so listen to us. And it, it, sent, it, sent, it sent them spiraling down. It sent them spiraling down. It took them off the course that they were following. And this is what false teaching does. This is what false teaching and false teachers do. They shake people in their mind. The word that's used in verse 2, shaking in mind, is the same word that's used in Acts chapter 16. When Paul and Silas were in prison and they were singing songs and they were praying at midnight, and it says a great earthquake came in, and it says it shook the foundation of the prison. It's the same exact phrase that's used here, that's used there. And that's what it had done. It had shaken their foundation. It had shaken their foundation, and they were in disarray. And this is why it's so important that the church at Thessalonica, along as the church of 2019 and us today, that we spend time in the Word you know, you have to spend time in your Bible reading. You can't rely on Pastor David. You can't rely on radio ministry or other ministries. You need to carve time out of your daily life and spend some time in scriptures so you can have a solid foundation and not listen to these voices that blow in and blow out, but listen to sound teaching from the Bible. Listen to what scripture says. That's why it's very important. And then he says in verse 3, he says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. Talking about the day of the Lord will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now the first thing he says in verse 3 here, he says there, there's going to be a falling away. The Greek word, uh, the, the word is also, in some of your translations, is, is apostasy. Is an apostasy. There, and, it, and notice it doesn't say a falling away. It says the falling away. The Apostle Paul in this text, he has a specific future event in mind that he's looking to. It's going to be the 
falling away. It's going to be, there's going to be a day, there's going to come a time in the future where there's going to be this abandonment of belief. And specifically, there's going to be a complete moving away from Christianity. There's going to be this complete moving away. And I believe that this is going to take place. Some people place it right before the rapture. Some people place it right after, maybe the first half of the tribulation. That's up for debate. But sometime in that time frame, there's going to be an abandonment of belief. There's going to be this moving away from the Bible worldwide. And in the process of this falling away, it says a world leader, an, an individual is going to arise. He says there in verse 3, he says he call, he's calling the man of sin and the son of perdition. The, when the scripture talks about calling him the man of sin, it says it means he's the living embodiment of sin and rebellion. This individual, he will be lawless. Other parts of scripture calls him. In other words, he will be against God's moral law. It means he'll, he'll, he'll have no conscience. You know, it's, it's, he's going to do whatever he wants without no outside forces, God's law or God intervening. There'll be uh, the man of sin, there'll be, that word brings, that thought brings, there'll be no limit to his evil plans. So it's, it's specifically the man of sin, man of lawlessness, man of rebellion. And then he's also called there, in verse 3, he's called the son of perdition. The son of perdition. That it means that that word perdition means it means doomed to eternal judgment. Why will this dude be doomed to eternal judgment? Because he will be the incarnation of Satan himself during the great tribulation period. He, he will be the world leader. And then continue in verse 4, talking about this man of sin, this man of perdition. Um, that Paul's looking at, he says in verse 4, and this is huge right here, who opposes, I'm going to read it slowly, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. That's what this, this guy will be. That's what this guy will be. And think about the name, Antichrist. Think about the prefix on the beginning of the name. What is he? He is anti that word anti is the same meaning that you have in verse 4. The word anti means to be opposed to Christ, to be opposed to Christ, to be the opposite of Christ is, is what the antichrist means, that word anti means. I just want to give you some examples here. Jesus is the lamb. The antichrist is the beast. Jesus is the truth. He is a lie. Jesus is the son of man. The Antichrist is the man of sin. Jesus is holy. The Antichrist is lawless. Jesus comes down from heaven. The Antichrist comes up from the pit in Revelation. Jesus cleanses the temple. The Antichrist desecrates the temple. Jesus is the son of God. The Antichrist is the son of Satan. Then look at the second half of verse 4. Second half of verse 4. We're given, we're, he's given us pieces. He's, he's putting this together, giving us a picture of who this guy is. In second half of verse 4, he says, So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, what is he talking about here? He sits in the temple, showing himself that he is God. 
If you go look at the Gospel of Matthew and you go look at um, the book of Daniel and you look at portions of Revelation, we believe that what he's talk, referring to here is the abomination of desolation. You see, in, in the, in the seven-year tribulation period, the Antichrist will rise to power. He'll be a world leader during the Great Tribulation. In the very beginning, he will make a peace treaty with Israel and over their land. I mean, today, still in 2019, what's the big issue over there? It's the fight over land but, but between them and the Palestinians. But anyway, at the beginning of the Great Tribulation period, he will come in and he will establish a plan, a plan of peace for the nation of Israel, for the Jews, and all will be well. All will be well for them. And then halfway through, halfway through the Great Tribulation, he will break this covenant. And it says in Scripture that he will go into the temple and set himself up as God. And that's what we call the abomination of desolation. It's at that halfway point of the, tri- of the, of the Great Tribulation that you see all hell break loose. His, his peace accord with Israel, his plans for them to prosper, it all goes south. And his, his bullseye is on the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. He wants to destroy them. And anything else that's related to Christianity is what the Scripture says. So what I want to do... I want us to now turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. You know, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible, we come across some of these great subjects. And I just, I can't leave you there without showing you the bigger picture of who this guy is. And I, and I hope that what this does is this whets your appetite to go home and study some more of these things. Many times people just abandon eschatology, abandon the last days. But God has put them in his word. He's put these things in his word so that we can study it and we can learn it and we can understand. So what I want to do is, is we're going to walk through some verses in Revelation chapter 13. And what I want to do is simply this. I, I want to give you, I want to give a survey of the character of this guy, the Antichrist that Revelation 13 refers to as the beast. So if you're, you're at Revelation 13, all right, let's, take, let's check it out. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Then I stood in the sands of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. So he's on the seashore, the sands of the sea are the nations, the people. Remember Revelation chapter 4, verse 1? Uh, he says, John, John was taken out of the body. He was taken out of the body and he was shown things from a spiritual dimension. He's, and he's seeing things that are in the future. But the sands of the sea are the people. And he sees this beast rising out of the sea of the people. And it says there um, that the seven heads, the ten horns, and the ten crowns, those are symbols of his strength. Those are symbols of his power. And it says on his head is a blasphemous name. In other words, we don't know exactly, but there's going to be some kind of title. There's going to be some kind of title to this guy that's going to be very blasphemous, but we don't know what that title is going to be quite yet. But, but, but the thing I want you to see in verse 1 is just what John calls him. He's in the spirit realm, and he calls him a what? A beast. He calls, he calls him a beast, and this, this, this reference to him calling him a beast is a reference to his character. What, what is a beast like? A beast is vicious. A beast is savage. A beast desires to hurt people, you know, like a wild animal. 
A beast is wild. A beast is, um, is untamable. And that's what this Antichrist do. This, that's what this beast will be like, this leader during the tribulation period. He, he will be vicious, savage, wild. He'll be a beast. Look at verse 2. We're going to see here his source of power. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, this is important right here, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. If you want to make a note there, if you go back and look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, the dragon is Satan. So this world leader, he will be anointed by Satan himself with power and authority. So that will be the Antichrist, this beast, that will be his source of strength, his source of power, will, will be Satan himself. Let's look at what happens in verse 3. He says, And I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So supernatural things are going to happen. Supernatural things are going to happen. They're, they're gonna, they're, there's going to be a healing that's going to take place where he's, where he's wounded. And look at what it says how the world is going to respond in verse 3. It says, all the world marveled. They're going to be mesmerized. They're going to be like, wow, look at him. I can just see millions of people around the world on their phone watching the video saying, wow, look at this guy. You know, information travels fast. Information travels fast today like it has never been done before. I do landscaping one day a week. And one of my customers is in Iraq. And I went to her house this week. I looked at her lawn. I sent her a text in Iraq. And I said, your lawn looks great. It doesn't need it this week. And she responded back, okay, thanks. But just like that, information spreads around the world. Things that would not have, things that, uh, that would not have been possible long ago are possible today through the use of technology. But, the, but, but it says all the world will marvel. All the world will be aware of this. They'll see it. They'll ooh, they'll ah, and look at the last three words. In the New King James, the last three words of verse 3 says, they followed the beast. They, they followed the beast. And it goes deeper. It, it goes deeper based on when it says it followed the beast. Now look at the beginning of verse 4. They followed the beast, and then verse 4, so they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him. The first thing I see there in verse 4 is it said in the very beginning, it says, so they worship the dragon, so they worship the beast. You know, worship is not always what we do on Sunday mornings. Worship is a lifestyle. How you live your life is an act of worship before the Lord. And these people, their worship, them following, them living their lives, they will pattern it after they, they, it says in verse, look at verse 4, they worship the dragon and they worship the beast. They will pattern their life after what the uh, dragon and the beast have set forth for the people. So they will be greatly admired. They will be followed. People will fall in love with them. And look at the end of verse 4. He says, uh, it's like this exclamation with a question. Who is like the beast? Who is like the beast? That's like an exclamation that's like saying, 
This guy, he has all the answers. He has all the answers, and he is very charismatic. When we say that phrase today, who is like the beast, we're, we're, we're making a, a bold statement of how awesome someone is. You know, we sing that song, who's like the Lord Almighty. You know, we're, saying, we're talking about how great he is. They will be saying, who is like the beast? And then it says, and then I like, that, well, this one kind of was a little disheartening to me, being a military veteran. At the end of verse 4, it says, who is able to make war with him? You know, the United States, we have the greatest military the history has ever known. From our aircraft carriers to our submarines to our boots on the ground to our Marines to our Navy SEALs to all of them, they're, they're great. But there's coming a day where they will not be the greatest. Because it says there, who is able to make war with him? No country will be able to compete with his army, uh, with, his, with his military strategy. Look at it. Who is able to make war with him? The, the, the implication there is no one. No one will be able to make war with him under his leadership. And then it says in verse 5, we're, I'm giving you the picture this morning of this beast, this Antichrist. We're, we're diving into the, the phrases that talk about the individual. Look at verse 5. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. You know, it says there in verse 5, he's, he's given a mouth speaking great things. That speaks of his, his oracle skills. His oracle skills will be unmatched. When, pe- when he speaks, people will be like, wow, listen at him. His eloquent speech, his convincing arguments, his charisma. He, it says, given a mouth speaking great things, but also it says in blasphemy. He will blaspheme the name of our God. He will blaspheme the creator of the universe at the same time. And also at the end of verse 5, this is a study for another time. But there's so many places in scripture, you know, um, that talk about the great tribulation in the, in the time period. And, you know, what we believe is a seven-year period that's cut in half. Look at the end of verse 5. He was given authority to continue for how long? For 42 months. That is a direct scriptural reference to the second half of the tribulation period that after the Antichrist comes to power and he's unmasked and he goes into the temple and he sets himself up as God, the uh, abomination of desolation, and he receives worship, that um, this is a direct reference to, from that point to the end of the great tribulation because there's 42 months before that where there'll be, there'll be a peace treaty for Israel. But the most telling verse... The most telling verse I present to you this morning is verses 6 and 7. Take a look in your Bibles at verses 6 and 7. He says, Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. One of the biggest attributes of, of this Antichrist um, during this time period that, that Revelation is talking about is he will hate Israel. He will, he will hate Israel with a passion. There, that's, that's, that's nothing new to them. They, they've been persecuted for thousands and thousands upon years, but nothing will be compared to when the persecution that they will endure at this 
point in time. And, and notice also there it says he, he blasphemes God, he blasphemes his name, he blasphemes the tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven, he will hate it that people will come to Christ. And I do believe that during the great tribulation period, uh, I believe the scripture teaches that people will come to know the Lord in the great tribulation. It will be hard, and it will be difficult, but people will come to know the Lord. And some of those may even lose their life, may even lose their life during this period because of the intense persecution that this guy will put on the planet. Let's continue. Halfway through verse 7, he says, An authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It says it right there, guys, in, in verse, the second half of verse 7 and verse 8. The world will worship him. The world will worship him, and they will follow him. The world will worship and follow him the same way that you and I worship and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Our allegiance is to him. Our commitment to, is to him. He is our God. But during this period, this is what the Antichrist will be to those whose their hearts will be hard. The, the minds will be darkened. And, um, and, they, and, they, and they will follow this guy whose names have not been written. People except for the believers during this time, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And it says, at the second half of verse 7, over, he says, he uses the word every, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That speaks to this global. That speaks to this global. It's everywhere. Now what I want to do is, is continuing our focus on who this Antichrist is, who this beast is. I want, us to, I want you to skip down to verse 16. Skip down to verse 16, same chapter. If you're wondering, verses 11 through 15 describe the uh, false prophet. It says another beast. That's the false prophet. But we're, I wanna, we'll focus on him another time. Our focus now is the, the Antichrist. And in verse 16 and 17, we're given his economic plan, his economy. Let's look at it, verse 16 and 17 and 18. It says, he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. This is how I believe during this great tribulation period. To me, this explains how, how he weeds out believers, how he weeds out people that don't form allegiance to them, that he'll, he'll, he will take total control of the world commerce. He, he will dominate the world. And I even believe, you know, currency will go away. Now, this is something that, that would not have been even thought about a long time ago. But, you know, we've gone from coins to cash to checkbooks to credit cards to now we've got cell phones that we can swipe. It's going, in, it's going in that direction. It's going in that direction to where the things that the text talks about is not um, insurmountable. That, that could happen, maybe even in our lifetime, or maybe in our children's lifetime, but it could happen, and it will happen, because the scripture says it will. But the currency will go away. Now, for the verse you've all been waiting for. Are you ready? <laughs> verse 18. This is, this is a big one. This one many people have heard about. Let's, let's look at it. Here is wisdom. 
I could, st- well, here is wisdom. Here is wisdom. Uh, let's just read it. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. Pastor David, please tell me what 666 is. What does it mean? What is, the, what, is, what, is, what, is, what is the meaning behind 666? And I'm here to tell you. You ready? I don't know. I don't know. I will not go beyond what the Word of God says. And if Scripture doesn't clearly define it, I'm not going to clearly define it. I don't want to go into the language of speculation. But I will make three points on this mark of this 666. Three things I can tell you for a fact about the mark of the beast. Number one, it is the number of the beast because it says so in verse 18. It says, calculate the number of the beast. Talking about the number of the Antichrist. And he also says here in verse 18, it is the number of man. And the third thing that I present to you about this 666 it's a number that nobody likes. <laughs> nobody likes. Nobody, nobody likes 666. Okay, I worked on my message all week long. I had it all laid out. I got up yesterday morning and uh, finalized my sermon, laid everything out. And then me and Irene went out last night to uh, Costco to get some fixings for the uh, lunch. And then after we left Costco, we went to um, Carolina Wings, had some awesome wings with the family, wonderful meal. And then we went to Walmart. We went to Walmart and she went in to purchase some green leaf lettuce, some tomatoes, and some wraps. And she came back out and she says, look at this receipt. And I said, what is it? The total Six dollars and sixty-six cents. I was like, "Ah, get that thing away from me!" Then I was like, "Wait a minute, that's a, that's a sermon illustration tomorrow. I can use that." No, but seriously, we don't like that number. I was uh, in the Navy, ninety-one and ninety-five, around ninety-three-ish. I'm eighty-four. Had a little money. I said, "You know, I'm gonna move off the ship." And uh, I was debating between uh, an apartment in downtown Norfolk in a place over on uh, Todd's Lane in Hampton, Virginia. Went over to Todd's Lane in Hampton, Virginia, looked at this place where my buddy was living. I was going to possibly um, rent one of his rooms, and I looked at his address. Hampton, Virginia, 23666. No thanks. No thanks. I'll I, I, I move downtown Norfolk. But, but that's my point. My point is we don't like that number. It's the number that says, ooh. But it, it will be the mark of the beast. It, it, it will be the mark of this man. There will be an economical system. And that's all I can tell you about the mark of the beast in the number 666. So this guy is going to be wicked. This guy is going to be evil. I've shown you in Revelation chapter 13 in your Bible that how bad this guy is going to be. It's going to be undeniable for the people living in this world that this guy is a very evil guy. But because of their hearts are cold and their hearts are darkened and they have no spiritual understanding, they will follow him. But there will be uh, Christians 
and the great tribulation. There will be the 144,000 Jews. There will be a great multitude who sings praises under the Lamb. There will be um, a revival taking place at the same time as this darkness, but they will endure intense, severe persecution. So that's what Revelation... Now let's go back to 2 Thessalonians. Please turn back in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, let's pick it up at verse 5. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. I love this verse, by the way. This is one of my favorite verses in this passage. Verse 5. Let's look at what uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5 says. He says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? This is encouraging to me because the Thessalonian church struggled with eschatology. They couldn't quite remember. They couldn't quite grasp their mind around the rapture and the tribulation and, and all these future events. And the same thing takes place today. The same thing that takes place today. We start reading the book of Revelation and we're like, whoa, what is going on here? And we, we start reading about the rapture in Thessalonians and the man of lawlessness. And sometimes it can make our heads spin. Well, guess what? We're in good company. We're in good company because the, the church at Thessalonica was also... Verse 6, and, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Talking about this Antichrist. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Multiple interpretations to this portion of scripture. Who is restraining? Who is holding him back? There's two main interpretations. One is the church is holding it back. The second one is the Holy Spirit. I believe it's the Holy Spirit. I believe it's the Holy Spirit based on verse 7, where halfway through it, he says, only he who now restrains. And at the end of verse 7, he is taken out of the way. I don't believe the church will be referred to. But some people, some people tie the church in there. But may, you know, maybe it's the church and the Holy Spirit. You know, because the Holy Spirit is upholding the church. But that restrainer will be removed, and then all hell will break loose. Verse 8. Verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Remember we talked about a while ago in Revelation chapter 13, in the Great Tribulation, this Antichrist, he will have the greatest armed forces. His, his army will be unstoppable, okay, until we get to Revelation chapter 19. And then he meets his match. Then they are defeated. He meets a new army, and an army, and that army is from heaven. And the commander-in-chief of that army is the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess who's with him? The saints. That's us, church on white horses. And it says he's going to come back. That's, you can find everything I just talked about in Revelation chapter 19. But here in verse 8, it says, Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy the brightness of his coming. There has never, ever been any doubt in our mind. Evil cannot overcome good. There's no, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. There's, there's no war between Satan and God. God is sovereign. He is almighty. And he will wipe him out with the, the, with the breath of his coming. It says, uh, will consume with the breath of his mouth. I love that. I, I just go there for a minute. It's, he's like, 
It's kind of like, it's kind of like you little candle there, you little candle, I'm going to blow you up. And it just blows him out with, it, with, it, with his breath. No fight, no war, just the breath of his mouth. And it says in, in verse 8, and destroy with the brightness of his coming. You know, the Antichrist, the evil, his darkness, his glorious, beautiful light from heaven, the light will always extinguish and dispel the darkness. And that's what it will be like when Christ returns. It says, no, sir, you don't have the greatest army. I do. And it's the armies of heaven. Because he is, what do we call him? What's another name we call the Lord? The Lord of who? The Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of the, of the armies of heaven. Verse 9, he says, And the coming of the lawless one is an, is an according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, light, and, and lying wonders. We just, I just gave you a whole entire commentary on that verse right there. That's all of Revelations chapter 13. That Satan is behind this lawless one. Here it is, you know, Scripture confirming Scripture when you compare Revelations chapter 13 with what's being said here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then verse 10, and with all unrighteous, all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, and they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had um, pleasure in unrighteousness. The real reason people refuse Christ, people re re refuse the Lord, is they don't want to change the way they live. The way they live. That, that's the way it was for me. Before I became a believer, before I became a believer in Jesus Christ, I was clearly presented with the gospel at Irmo High School and by people here in Columbia. And I, and, I, and I drove away from that conversation. I walked away from that conversation and said, no, thank you. Because I knew if I followed Jesus, I'd have to give up the way I wanted to live my life. And I, couldn't, I wouldn't do it. So the real reason why people refuse to follow Christ is for that reason alone. The tribulation period will be a very dark place. The hearts will be cold. The hearts will be hard. And God will give them over to their desires. In other words, you think about the, uh, the plagues in Egypt. And the scripture says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's not very nice. God, why would you harden Pharaoh's heart? But it wasn't, he, he didn't harden his heart till after he sent him ten clear signs. To, to repent and turn away. And so, so will it be during this period that their hearts will be hard, their hearts will be cold. They have made their decision. They've made up their mind. And, and God will just ice over the decision that they have already made. Verse 13, he says, but we are bound to give thanks to God. Uh, verse 13, okay, at verse 12, the, the, the apostle ends his teaching right there on the Antichrist. And now he's going into his closing remarks of, of this chapter. Because now he's shifting from the Antichrist to you, the believers at Thessalonica. He says, verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because 
God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. There in verse 14, he says, he called you by our gospel. Do you see the process there of salvation? God is calling men and his own sovereignty He's electing them. He's calling them. But who's he doing it through? He's doing it through you and I. He does it through us. Whenever in 1992 when I came to Christ, I did not hear the voice of God from heaven. I heard Pastor Ron preaching from the pulpit. And I heard the Lord hollering my name saying, this is you. You need me. And he says there, verse 14, which he called you to God called you by our gospel, by the gospel that was being presented for obtaining for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, therefore, in light of this beautiful truth, he says, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions, excuse me, hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. The way that we make it as a Christian, the way that we move forward in our life and are serving him to the day he calls us home is right there in verse 15, and it's called standing firm. Standing firm on his truth, standing firm on his promises, standing firm on his word, and doing the things that we do as a Christian. Spending time in the word, spending time in prayer, spending time in worship, spending time in fellowship, building relationships with other believers, and forming that family. That's how you stand firm. So that when we do get a little wobbly, you know, because we all go through seasons where, you know, we get, we get pulled away or we get tempted. But another believer can come alongside and encourage us to get back on the path. That's how we stand firm. By, and by doing what we're doing this morning, being in church, studying the word. Verse 16 and 17. Let's wrap this up. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us an everlasting consolation and good hope by his grace. I love verse 17. Another one of those verses, I love it. He says, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. The reason I love verse 17 is this reason. Eschatology, the study of the Antichrist, the rapture, the last days, is never meant to scare people. It's never meant to scare us, spook us, and be like, oh, what's going to happen? It's, it's, never, it's never meant to do that to us. It's meant to comfort us. Paul says this over and over throughout his uh, first letter to 1 Thessalonians and his second letter to Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18 give us the greatest picture of the rapture where it says the Lord will descend from heaven and with the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we who are alive shall be caught up so shall we meet with him in the Lord and then he says after this great doctrine of the rapture he says in verse 18 of chapter 4 therefore encourage one another encourage one another with these words we don't use these words to browbeat people we use these words to encourage people you know, you, 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 just need to, you just need to understand in life that one day these events will happen. And I'm going to live my life 
with what the Lord has given me till that day. I'm not going to be fearful. I'm not going to be scared. I'm not going to be worried about the, um, the world situation as it relates to me because I know what's going to happen at the end. Again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul says it again, uh, saying what he says here in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. We're almost done. We're almost done with Thessalonians, with, with First and Second Thessalonians. And the thing we need to understand is, is these truths that are presented here are meant to encourage you. It's meant to show you, it's, it's given to us so that you can know that the, the God that, that you believe in the God that you put your faith in, the God that you put your trust in, that one day he, he will complete what he began at Calvary. Well, I mean, we're completely saved at Calvary, but when we get to heaven, we'll have a new body, a new, a new glorified body. But he, God is faithful. That's what these are meant to do. Not meant to scare us, but they're meant to encourage us. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, Thank you for your word. Thank you for our study in 2 Thessalonians. And Father, thank you for giving us a snapshot picture from these two chapters on this man of lawlessness, this beast, this antichrist. And um, Lord, help us to keep our hearts soft before you, to keep our hearts open before you, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to our hearts to grow cold to grow hard, but Lord, help us to continue in our walk with you and let us hear your voice, let us follow your word, and Lord, let us um, reach out to those around us with this glorious, beautiful truth that you died on the cross to save sinners and you rose from the grave to give us eternal life. And one day, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe we don't know when, but one day you will return. We love you, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this study. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.